You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 376. Today, it's a special listen again episode about raising good humans. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, if you haven't yet done so, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've gotten any value from this podcast, please do me a favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more. It takes takes 30 seconds. I I hugely, hugely appreciate it. Now, in just a moment, you're going to hear a conversation with me and my dear friend, Carla Nomberg from when my book, Raising Good Humans, which in the last two years has kind of become a runaway bestseller. It's been translated into six languages. It's done way better than I ever expected it to do. We're going to talk about the book. It's our conversation from December 2019 when it came out. And you're going to find out what not to say to your kids, the real truth on how to stay calm, and why raising children is a spiritual practice. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child, no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Hunter, thank you so much for coming on your own podcast. I'm so excited <laughs> today. Your Terry Gross voice is fabulous, Carla. Thank you. And it's not an upcoming new book anymore. It is out. 
as of the release of this podcast. So how oh, are you? Gee. You have a book out. Are you breathing? Are you okay? I have some mindfulness <laughs> techniques that might help you stay calm. You should consider trying them. Okay. I'll, I'll, we'll take notes. I'll take notes later. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's a little crazy. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel because actually I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> so exciting. Okay. Before, before we get started um, on all these deep, insightful, incredibly thoughtful and thrilling questions I'm going to ask you, um, in case people like their radios suddenly shut off or their podcast players suddenly shut off because we're actually in the 21st century, where can people buy your books or pre-order or buy them or whatever? Oh my gosh. So you can go to Raising Good Humans book dot com and there are links there to buy it from you know Amazon or IndieBound or wherever and hopefully you can find it at your local bookstore. Yay. All right. So you know when I when I read that little um introduction there and I totally had my NPR voice going on. It was awesome. Um I was thinking about everything you do, Hunter, and it, it blows me away. So you're a coach and you teach these courses and you have this membership program and your podcast and you put this awesome stuff on social media that totally makes me think and pause and actually put down my phone because I shouldn't be staring at it anyways. And you have this great newsletter, like you're doing all the things and you have, if I'm not mistaken, like two kids and a life and a husband and all that stuff. So why did you write a book? I mean, you already have these amazing ways of getting the news out into the world and writing a book is a ton of work and it's not always fun. So like, what were you thinking, lady? Tell me, why did you write this book? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I didn't know how much work it was. Maybe that's why I decided <laughs> to write a book. Because I was like, I could do this. I could do this. I've always been like, um, I've always been one of those, you know, the the smart kids in the class getting getting the grades doing you know achieving doing the things and you know I was always a good student and I always liked I've always been really literary really into reading really into writing I read a lot like if I I need to escape I'm in a book um, and I kind of realized I said I the reason why I wrote this book is really that. I saw that there was this world, this sort of parenting world, and there's all these things that are out there, and there's all this information out there that's really wonderful and valuable and good. And I saw that there were sort of these, seemed like to me, there were two camps that weren't really talking or paying attention to each other. And so I was very much, I spent a lot of time in the, the world of that mindfulness camp because I'd been studying about it since I was a teenager because I desperately needed it. And I had learned a lot about meditation and mindfulness and all of those things. And, and then as my kids got uh, a lot, became alive, frankly, and then started to talk back to me and all those things, I started to dive into this sort of parenting world and how can I do this better? And I'm really doing a terrible job at this, so let me do this better. And what I saw is that in the mindfulness world, the kind of mindset was like, okay, if we can just calm down our stress response, we can calm down and move slower and be more patient, then everything's going to be fine and you're <laughs> just dandy. Excuse <laughs> me for laughing. Go ahead. Continue, please. Oh. And then in the parenting world, there was this like, there was this sort of like, you know, this sort of mindset of like, well, if you can just say the right things, if you can just respond the right way, you know, right in air quotes, then everything's just going to be fine and you're going to be okay. And I, what I really like was frustrated with in sort of the parenting world was like, 
okay, every single instruction starts with step one, pause, but how do you do that? I'm losing my brain. <laughs> and then, just stay and then, calm. It'll be fine. Just be calm. It's easy. Just, just be calm. Just approach them in a calm way. Great. How do you do that? And then, you know, and then in that in that mindfulness world it was like well once you're calm you'll you'll just kind of miraculously know what to say and that was complete bs because then i would say something that was like something kind of maybe a little unskillful that my parents might have said to me and then when i was a kid and then it would be my toddler would be like a a, a time bomb like exploding again mm -hmm. to the words i was saying so i saw that it one without the other was not enough that in the parenting in that communication world there really needed they really needed a lot of this information about step 1 how to calm your stress response how to like have more self awareness how to how to get to that place of, of more awareness so you can respond thoughtfully and then in the mindfulness world they needed you know it, it mindfulness wasn't enough you know you really needed those skillful communication so i saw that mindfulness and skillful communication they needed to come together and so that's really what raising good humans does is bring these two things together and that's what i see as like the wings we need to fly are like we need to be able to calm down our stress response have more self-awareness and and kindness within and we need to be able to communicate better to our children in a more effective way to our children. Hunter, that is amazing and so many kudos to you because one of the things I love about your book is you you jam so much information in there, but it's not 800 pages long, which is great because I can't read 800 pages, <laughs> but you do it in a way that feels really accessible and readable. And I was like drawn into the book and I just kept reading. It was awesome. Um, and you really tackled both of these hard issues. Cause like in, in my most recent book, I just, I didn't tackle the issue about like, what do you actually do once you're calm? I was basically like, Hey parents, here's how to not lose it. And PS, good luck with the rest of it. So <laughs> So I'm very thrilled and happy. And as a parent who loves these kind of books and as a mindfulness practitioner, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book because I, I need it. We all need it. So Carla's book is wonderful, by the way, and you should get it. How to Stop using, Losing Your Beep at Your Kids. <laughs> your guys, really what this podcast is going to be is a little love fest between me and Hunter talking about how great our books are. So just <laughs> enjoy that. Enjoy that. Um, but listen, Hunter, look, one of the things I love about you and your podcast and your book is how honest and relatable you are. And, you know, usually when I think of like yoga mamas, I'm like, oh my God, they're skinny and perfect and calm all the time. And they bake their own food and never make processed food and whatever. But the point is you don't do that. You, I mean, I don't know, maybe you do do that, but you're also honest and real and authentic. And you open the book with a very authentic moment, which is this memory that I think many of your readers and listeners can relate to, which is you like crying on the floor after you've lost it with your kids, right? You're, I think you're out in the hallway and you've just mm -hmm. lost it. And I've, I've cried after I've lost it. Absolutely. And so, but now I don't think you're crying in the hallway as much anymore right i'm hoping no no, no i don't cry in the hallways much. although it's okay it's okay if you do we're having a lot of compassion here it's okay if you do but really i'd love to hear about some of the changes you've made in your life and your parenting style that i i think are reflected in this book right but what are some of the changes you've made in your life and your parenting since that moment that maybe readers and listeners could learn from 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was like a moment that was among a series of moments, like being in a puddle in the hallway. I don't know why I was always like in the hallway, but I was always in the (laughs) hallway, like crying because I felt like such a dummy for messing up my children. Um, Since then, it's, I, I really, the, you know, I really was, could either, you know, get, be subsumed by this sense of like, I'm failing, or I could take this and say, okay, th- I have to learn from this. This is my teacher. Really, it was like my anger, like my temper. And so I, I had to learn from my temper and see what it had to teach me. And really what I had to go back into, really dive into my mindfulness more and, and kind of bring that practice more into my daily life, kind of take it, take uh, the practices of, you know, mind, just awareness without responding into my, into my daily life. And so what, what I really, really worked on was calming down my temper and, um, and what helped me with that, and it was interesting because the the skillful communication, the sort of language and the mindfulness practices w- would weave back and forth in my life. So the practice in, you know, in mindfulness of like uh, noting uh, your feelings is also very much one in the, in the skillful communication practices of like acknowledging out loud what you were feeling. So that Piece would start to help me reduce my temper a little bit earlier. I would start to have more awareness of like, oh, this is happening again. I need to take care of myself. I need to take a break. And so I started to become calmer. I started to yell a lot less. Not, a, you know, I'm not like a, a robot. I'm still yell at my kids sometimes. And um, but then as I started to be able to to see, oh, okay, I'm I'm able to kind of like make some progress. I'm able to like make some incremental bit by bit um, improvements in that area, then I was able to really start to respond more skillfully to my kids. So for instance, I would start to like frame my requests of my child really more as requests. So what I used to think of were as requests were really like orders and demands. And I didn't realize that. I had to kind of like Hmm. look at that and say, oh, my child, she doesn't like this because I'm basically like ordering her about all the time and no one likes to be ordered all the time. So I had to kind of understand my language. And so what, what started to happen is it got a little easier. I started to also start to let go of some of the problems that weren't really mine to hold. You know, if my kid had a problem and she had big upset feelings, that was okay even though like my initial before working on this response was like, oh my God, my kid is these big upset feelings. This is unacceptable. Like that was a big feeling I had because it, that was kind of the message I was given as a kid was that it, you know, it made my parents so mad. And so, or my, mostly my dad, I love you, dad. Uh, so mad that it felt unacceptable. And I started to say, oh, okay, she can have these feelings. And so that was less of a problem for me. And what happened is these things started to, what was nice about using these tools and using these sort of communication skills that, that didn't involve like punishment and things like that was that my child started to resent me and push against me less because there was less to push against. And things actually started to get better. 
you know, like it was like kind of snowballed a little easier and easier as time went on because, she, you know, she felt less resentment. So therefore she resisted me less. So therefore um, it became easier. And I, you know, I would go through waves of like having to learn this lesson and seeing her, her talk to her, my, my uh, youngest daughter to see her talk to her sister in some kind of unskillful way and say, oh, that's what that sounds like. Now I know what's going on and I'd have to work on that way of communicating. And it was really like a, a bit by bit over time where I'd like kind of work on something and do better with something. And then I'd, I'd even say, hey, hold on, let me do a do over. This is actually what I mean to say. And I would practice and I would get it wrong. And my child, she, you know, they, she would, there would be a lot of back and forth, but over time, very imperfectly implementing all the strategies I talk about in, in raising good humans, it did get easier and easier and easier. And actually my daughter's going on 13 now, my oldest daughter. And I was really afraid that when the beginning, I was really afraid that I was going to be messing up our relationship for life. I knew that when I was 14, you know, like I, I ran away from home to friends' houses. I had huge battles with my father again and again and again, because I was re rebelling against the parenting techniques he was kind of using at me, this like, do what I say, because I say it kind of stuff. And I can really see now that that the other day she apologized to me and then she like Big leans girl. into me. I know she like leans into me and she wants to be close. Like we still have this strong relationship, hope. you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. I feel really grateful that I feel like I've kind of uh, been able to transform this generational pattern really. Oh. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January, what happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. 
Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. And you know, Hunter, there's so much that I love about what you just said. Um, and the one thing that I think you said, well, you said many good things, but one thing you said that was so important that I want listeners to hear that quite frankly sort of sucks, but is honest and true is that this, this was not something you fixed overnight. It was not something you changed overnight and it's an ongoing process. And um, look, if I had a magic wand, that would not be the case. We would fix everybody overnight. Not that people really need fixing. Let me say that we would transform our sort of unskillful habits and patterns Jeez, my mindfulness lingo. Um, and, but I want parents and listeners to hear that so that they know that if they wake up tomorrow and repeat the same habits and patterns and then repeat them the next day and then maybe the next day it gets a little bit better, that's how it happens. That ha- that's how it happened for me. That's how it happens for you. That's how it happens for all of us. So, you know, if anybody's like, oh, I should just wake up tomorrow and be awesome. Well, you will wake up tomorrow and be awesome and you'll still make some mistakes and that's okay too. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm so really glad you pointed that out because one of the things that I I was so, that like made me so nervous when my daughter was young was this whole idea, like we get sort of this message. There's some message about like, if you're the ages of three and under are like these really important ages where they're oh. like, <laughs> and I would just be like, guttural sound of complete annoyance. Oh, and it would just like, I would just be like, oh my God, I'm ruining my child for life. And I really want to say that, that's not true. Like, actually, that's not true. Like, yeah, your kid might uh, absorb some unskillful habits, but everybody is going to. Like, you can't get out of this, like, growing up a human thing into, like, you're not going to make your kid into a perfect human being, and and no one is. I am, Hunter. I am. Not anybody else but me. Except Carla will. Um, and and it didn't even, you know, it, it doesn't matter like when you start to start to transform things, but it does take a long time. But it was funny because um, I taught my um, mindful parenting course a lot um, in person at locally. And this one woman came and she took it um, and she was a grandmother and she was taking care of her six-year-old son, uh, grandson, which was really sweet. And I thought that was really wonderful. And then and then she, at the end, she talked to me and she said that she had healed her relationship with her adult daughter using the, the tools and that are, that are in Raising Good Humans. And I felt like, yes, because it's not like there's this point where you're like, oh, I've messed up. I've, to- I've made some mistakes. So I just give up now and I'm, it's too late. You know, like that's, right. that's, that's a myth. It's never too late to start to transform our habits and heal our relationships. Amen. And you know, it's like, I saw there's occasionally there's like this parenting meme that makes the rounds on social media. That's like, you only get one shot at this. Like your kids are only this age for this long. You only get one shot. And I'm like, that is freaking horrible. Do not (laughs) like, what? I just want to go stick my head in the toilet or something. I don't know why I said that, but like, (laughs) it's horrible. It's like, no, no. Every day, God willing, we get another chance. Like we always have another chance to begin again, to bring that new attitude, to try again, to forgive ourselves. So if you see that meme, just thumbs down. I don't know. Is there a thumbs down? Is that a thing? Make the little angry face. Yeah. Be like, I don't like your meme, but do it in a compassionate way, please. (laughs) I'm mindful mama podcast. We are very compassionate. Um, All right. Look, can we please look, this is one of my favorite topics and your listeners might feel like um, I'm I'm doing the dead horse thing with this, but we need to talk about Mm self-compassion because 
this is big. It's not easy for most of us. And we got to keep hearing about it and keep talking about it. So you have this whole chapter on self-compassion. It's called Practicing Compassion. It begins with you. And I think by you, you mean the reader, right? And so, um, and when I first learned about self-compassion, I thought it was the hokiest, cheesiest thing I'd ever heard of. I couldn't deal with it. I was like, Stuart Smalley, Saturday Night Live. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it. People like me. And I was like, peace out. I'm not doing this. And um, years later, this one is the game changer for me. Like self-compassion is um, the most, I would say, important and effective practice of my parenting life. And so I want to know what it looks like for you. I want to know, first of all, I want you to tell the orange metaphor, because this is my favorite metaphor that you use. So I want, I want to hear the orange metaphor in this. And I want you to give the listener a snapshot into a moment in your parenting life where self-compassion comes in. Okay. All right. So I will share the orange metaphor, which I steal blatantly from Wayne Dyer, who's a wonderful, amazing teacher. And he taught it like this. And he just would ask this question, which is so clear and simple, is like, when you, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Of course, juice comes out of an orange, right? But you know, it's not, it's not lemon juice, it's not pomegranate juice, it's orange juice. And the point is that it is what is inside is what comes out when we're squeezed. And when life squeeze us, squeezes us, and parenting will squeeze you, uh, what is inside is what comes out. And so we can think that it's so frustrating because we are taught in this culture that like, you know, we should be self-sacrificing. We should just give everything to other people, especially women, I, I guess is what I'm saying. And we think that I can just I can just give all to my children. I can always be super kind to my children. I can always be um, really gentle. And that's just not true. If you're like a mean ass BITCH inside, like it's just not true. Like if you're, if you're like that voice inside, when you make a misstep or mistake um, is harsh and mean, eventually that's going to come out. You live with your kids like a day in and day out for years. So eventually that's going to come out when you're sport. For, for some of us, it's like every five minutes. It's not eventually. <laughs> no, but the point is so well taken, Hunter, that if we're sitting around thinking, and for years I thought this, I am a terrible parent. I'm, I'm awful at this. I'm screwing up my kids. Like those are negative, yucky thoughts. And when my kids were squeezing me, that's what came out. And it all changed with self-compassion. So what, what does that look like for you? How does self-compassion show up in, in your life and in your parenting? Yeah. And I, I used to say some of the same things to myself. And we have to look at like what happens when, I mean, look, when, when we're not being self-compassionate. So like when we, you know, lose it at our kids and then we start to um, be harsh and mean to ourselves, like, oh, I'm a terrible parent. Um, I'm terrible. I'm crap. All that stuff. We start to be awful to ourselves. Um, it, is that helpful? <laughs> No, like it actually kind of leaves you the way I was in the very beginning of that book, like in a puddle of tears in the hallway, always in the hallway. But it leaves you feeling really. Put a couch in the hallway. Be more comfortable. Couch. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it leaves you in the sense of helplessness. And this is actually research they've done. So I talk about the research that Kristen Neff did um, from podcast. I think it was 87. She talks about it. Anyway, uh, Kristen Neff from University of Austin has actually researched this along with others. And 
they talk about how actually um, when when we are judgmental and when we are mean to ourselves and we have this harsh inner voice, um, it actually makes us less able to kind of go out and grow and change and do things because the process of growing and changing and doing things involves making mistakes. And if you make a mistake and you your inner voice is like mean and harsh and punishing, you're not going to want to step outside that comfort zone. It's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller, that teeny tiny little comfort zone. You're not going to want to do all the difficult things it takes to grow and change and become a better person. But if you practice self-compassion, I'll talk about what that looks like in my own life, but it you you know, you think about that like the voice in your head is actually a little kinder. It's a softer landing. It's not so scary to to make a mistake because you, it's okay. You're human and then you can actually take steps and grow and change um a little bit more. And so for me what it looked like was I had to see the that voice. You know, I had to see like, oh, this is how I'm talking to myself. I had to kind of like have the self-awareness to understand like I'm this is this is what I'm saying to myself and and is this helpful? And I and I started to look at the work of like Sharon Salzberg, love talking about loving kindness and and mm-hmm. how self-compassion and loving kindness, they are forms of affection that you can actually practice and grow and cultivate and what you practice grows stronger. And so, you know, as I, I mean, I, I remember like being, feeling really upset first telling myself I'm a terrible parent and then like, okay, washing my, splashing my face with some cold water, taking some deep breaths, clearing the snot and, <laughs> and saying, okay, this sucks. This is hard. Um, and practicing to offer myself some kind words, you know, okay, this is hard. And it felt really weird, felt really awkward. But I, I remember kind of doing that gesture of touching my hand to my heart. And they, you know, that gesture of touch is really healing for the body and saying, okay, this is hard. This sucks. This feels really awful right now. And um, what can I do? What's the next best thing I can do? And just that softening of like my own reaction to myself allowed me to then reconnect with my child rather than just spiral down and spiral down and spiral down. And so it became uh, a real practice that I started to bring in my life daily. And I would practice it. Of course, the thing about these practices that you and I talk about all the time, Carla, is that you just can't do it just in that crappy moment but I only want to do it in the crappy moment. It's hard to practice and I'm tired and I have lots of stuff to do. Yeah, but we have but to practice. I we, we, we have we to practice all the time. We have we to, get pr- to practice. We do. We get to practice all the time. But it's, yeah, it's like something you just have to, it's like, you know, you, you're just training your brain to think in a little bit of a different way. And it takes like daily, you know, regular practice in the not, stressful, hard, challenging moments to be able to, to do that in the hard moments. Yeah. And, and one of, you mentioned Sharon Salzberg, who's amazing. And if you have a chance to read her books or hear her speak, you should do that. Um, and she talks about just walking down the street in New York City, 
repeating to herself the, the the phrases of the meta meditation of may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be safe, may I live with ease. And if there's ever a place where we need to practice kindness, it's when you're walking down the street in New York City. But yeah, so and and so you 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 talked about like this giving yourself a softer landing. And I love that phrase. I haven't thought of that before. And I really love it because sometimes it really does feel like in parenting that we're, we're falling on our faces. And the idea to have this like softer landing and it's not such a crash is amazing. Um, so I want to, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it just like, and, and you're, the way you underline self-compassion, I think is so important because it's true. Like we think we we have this sort of idea that that judgment is going to be helpful but the truth is it's not and the truth is we th- we think oh if i can just say all the right things that's going to you know i'm just going to skip to chapter whatever and <laughs> raising good humans is skip all the front parts and go to what do i say and i'm going to say all the right things and and that's going to make it better it's not it, it, the truth is you're going to fall on your face you're going to make mistakes and it, life is going to be hard. Like there are so many moments where life is going to be really, really hard and you have to have, it's so, it's such a, it's such a nurturing thing to have those practices because I mean, for me, life is hard sometimes on a, a regular basis. Like it's hard to like do a lot of different things. And so to have that practice is it, it may, you know, that you, it's so, so foundational and so essential. Um, and, you know, I've had people share with me that they, have used that loving kindness practice in in various ways. I had a a woman write to me about using the loving kindness practice that she learned um, through me um, when her mother was dying and going through this incredible difficulty. And and she, she said she, you know, the words, the, those words helped her, helped her find a way. And just, you know, may I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be healthy, whatever that is. And may you be peaceful. May you be safe. May you be healthy. It just reminds us to, to reminds us to continue to focus in that direction as much as we can. Oh, I love that. And, um, Sometimes I I have a little internal loving kindness meditation going on when I really want to throttle my daughters, and it um, I'll be like, may I not kill you right now? May I, be, <laughs> may I be peaceful? May I not like bite your head off? And it starts out in this almost weird passive aggressive way because I'm so pissed and I can't pull it together, but then I can get into that vibe and it really does um, help me not lose it with them. It's very very powerful. I love that you have this whole chapter. Um, and it, it makes, and and the thing is, you're right. Like the more we practice it on a daily basis, the easier it comes in those really hard moments. Um, so I want to jump to a different part of the book. It's actually my favorite line in the book. I I love everything about it and I'm going to read it to you and I, I need you to explain it. So, um, it's these two sentences. You say, want some major personal growth? Six months with a preschooler can be more effective than years alone on a mountaintop. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about, Hunter? <laughs> Six months alone with a preschool and I'm going to end up like Bonkerville, right? <laughs> like exhausted, cranky, can't talk in normal sentences, only know the words to like all of Doc McStuffin's friends, don't know anything <laughs> useful, like only eating macaroni and cheese, forgot what real vegetables taste like, using words like potty when I'm talking to grown adults. So 
how does six months with a preschooler, like, I think that would just turn my, like, alone with a preschooler, my brain would just be mush. So explain to me how time spent with young children is a catalyst for major personal growth. I know the answer, but I actually want to hear you say it. What are you talking okay. about? All right. And I do want to say, it doesn't say alone with a preschooler, but six That's months true. with a preschooler. Because no, honestly, I do. I would worry about one's sanity. If you were alone with a preschooler for six months, it, it would be very, very, very challenging. I, I, I actually don't <laughs> think we should be left for five minutes alone with a preschooler. I think no adult should have to suffer through that. But explain to me. Yeah, I added in the alone for dramatic effect. Thank you for that. Um, ex- explain to me, though, how you see time with our children as, as catalysts for personal growth. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I mean, yeah. So the the truth is it's really either going to drive you crazy or you're going to learn from it. Right. And that's the thing. Like when I think about like uh, someone who says, I'm going to, you know, growth or, you know, Zen or die. And they go off to Thailand. I don't know. They go off to Thailand and they, and they, and they go to a monastery and they say, I need some help. And, you know, I, I picture like sort of the, the Zen, uh, monk like whapping them over the head, you know, helping them to wake up. It's it's sort of an, a story in the in those traditions that there's a little bit of whacking with a, a something. Anyway, but the point is is that they're saying like, wake up, like here are your issues. Here's this issue to work on. Here's this issue to work on. And preschoolers and kids are constantly showing us, here's this issue to work on. Here's this issue to work on. Here's this issue. A little rude of them, quite frankly, in all, a little rude. Yes. They're constantly like, you kind of think like, 
I mean, the truth is like you go through your adult life before you have kids and you don't have anybody who's like provoking you to yelling in anger, like in your regular adult life. Like it's all pretty chill actually comparatively. And then you get into- Nobody's pooping their pants in front of you. That's not a thing people do either. You're right. It's a good point. (laughs) And- and then you don't you don't even realize how these things the reactions these things are going to provoke in you. So those what we want to instead of saying like this is a huge problem and it's it's something that's horrible and terrible instead if we can kind of change our mindset to say okay this reaction in me ah bingo this is something I need to practice with this is something I need to offer some self-compassion towards, you know, I, there's something here, like there's some healing maybe I have to do from my childhood, or there's just some, some place in me where this is like a big thing for me that I can feel it so much in my body. So instead, basically it's just taking these really big challenges and, or whatever size challenge and, and working with and saying, okay, what it being, bringing these attitudes of mindfulness and curiosity to that challenge okay, why is this such a big reaction to me? How can I sit with this? What does it feel like in the body? And starting, it sort of grows and expands your self-awareness. It grows your loving awareness as you can start to see, oh, this is such a difficult thing for me. Then it, it naturally can give you more compassion for all the other parents who are who are struggling too. I mean, before you had kids, you probably judged that mom in Walmart for- Oh, judged the crap out of her. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, my kids are never eating nuggets. And now, well, <laughs> anyways, go ahead, Hunter. What were you saying? Talking, Hunter? Yes. So, uh, so just kind of, it expands our awareness and expands our compassion and just, just take those things as your teachers. Those are your teachers. What do you have to learn from them? Oh, it is. Um, you speak the truth, and it is both one of the helpful thing, most helpful things, most helpful sort of like shifts in perception I ever had about parenthood. That like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to get better, and it's also incredibly annoying because I don't, I don't, I don't. Sometimes I don't want to do personal growth, um, but <laughs> and so Amen. I think sometimes like we give ourselves a break, but then we come back to this, and when we can. Um, get curious and have compassion and do all these things, you know, the beginner's mind that you talk about in the book, do all these things. Um, parenting gets easier and it becomes more fun and less stressful. But look, I'm thinking about the parents who are listening to this and they're like, I don't know, tired and overwhelmed and stressed. And they've got like a million things bouncing around in their brains. Um, you know, dinosaur names or facts about frozen and Minecraft or what are they going to make for dinner? Did they call the dentist? So I want them to come away from this podcast with like a key takeaway point, an idea from your book that you think is really important, really useful, really helpful, or just that you're really jazzed about. You're like, yeah, this is great. What, what are those like, what is that one idea or lesson or practice or insight from raising good humans that we, we can leave our listeners with today that they can sink their tired little teeth into until they can get their hands on the book and sit down and read it? Well, I think probably just like you, you pull, I mean, I would probably pull out self-compassion as the most important thing because it really does sustain us in so many difficulties for so long. So, but we've already talked about that. And and so I just want to kind of highlight that that is so powerful and so important and can be practiced and can be learned and you can do it. And even though it feels weird, you can do it. And I would encourage 
the listener, you know, I would encourage you if you're exhausted and you want to just, you know, everything is crazy. I would encourage you to see, look at where you can slow down. Look at where you can slow down, yeah. um, maybe, you know, in your schedule, but maybe in just this moment, like where can you slow down? Maybe if you, you're listening to this as you drive in your car, when you get, step out of your car, you can just even walk slowly to your next destination. If you can <sighs> slow down your steps, you can slow down you know, the agenda, just start to slow it down. And that gives us the space to have more awareness of what's happening for us in our hearts and our minds, and to be able to see more clearly what's happening for our kids and their hearts and minds. And we, and we don't have to move so fast. We can start to, I mean, literally walking slowly to, um, uh, to, uh, from the car can be really healing. You know, I used to, my kids used to go to this Montessori school that's just like about a block away from my house. Mm -hmm. And I used to drop them off and then literally run home <laughs> because I had three hours. And so I would dash home. Right. And at one point I realized like I was so sped up and that it was just, it was just me. It was just, I, I, I had to get through the list and do the things. And I was in this mode of like, I have to get through the list and do the things and get all the things right. And then maybe at some future point, I'll be able to relax. And the truth is, when we do that, you have been practicing sped up, get it all done, efficiency brain, get, go, go, go. And so when you get to that point, you can't even relax. So I started to practice mindful walking from Ooh. the school home. And it literally took me an extra like, four minutes or like two, you know, it was such a minor, minuscule amount of time that it changed. It wasn't even that much more time. And then when I got home, I was relaxed. I was thinking more clearly. And then when I got there, I wasn't in such a hurry. Our kids don't move at the same pace of life that we do. And we can, we can start to, to slow down. And when you have some space in your life, then you can start to practice, you know, all of these little practices that are bit by bit changes over time, you can start to bring those into your, bring those into your life. Even when life is full, you know, you start to notice, oh, if I can walk slowly, even when my life is crazy and full, maybe I can just sit on this bench and breathe quietly for 60 seconds and do a meditation practice, even though my life is full. You know, there are ways to start as we start to just bring some spaciousness into our days there, there becomes room um, and space to, to, because it's all this stuff. There's a, a saying I'll quote here from Marie Forleo, which I really love her new book, everything is figure outable. And that phrase I think is really apropos here, because if we start to make space, we can see that it's everything is figure outable, like strengthening our relationships with our kids is figure outable, doing it without punishment. It's figure outable. There are tools, slowing ourselves down, you know, reducing our reactivity and our yelling, you can totally figure that out. You can do this, you can practice it and you can learn it because what you practice grows stronger. So. Hunter, you mentioned that everything is figure outable, including strengthening our relationship with our kids, figuring out how to talk to them in challenging moments, figuring out um, how to reduce our own reactivity. I, I wish there was a book for all that. Do you have a recommendation <laughs> of a book that would help 
you know, harried, stressed parents figure out how to stay calm and communicate empathically and lovingly with their kids? Yes, I think I do. <laughs> so yeah, seriously, if you're a, a listener of this podcast, you're listening to this episode and some of what we've said has resonated with you, you know, I invite you to get the book, Raising Good Humans. You can go to raisinggoodhumansbook.com or wherever you find books. And it's important to, you know, take these books are such a valuable resource that you can go back to again and again. You can put by your bedside, you can return to, and um, there's a lot in there. And I'd love for you to love for you to buy the book, review it on Amazon and then connect. You can get some book bonuses that I'm putting up. Um, so, uh, so yeah, raisinggoodhumansbook.com. Hunter, thank you so much for writing this amazing book, for sharing your wisdom with all of us. And I really appreciate you coming on your own podcast, <laughs> letting me interview you about this book. But seriously, folks, um, I am super excited about this book and you should go to raisinggoodhumansbook.com and buy like 20 copies each and keep them in your purse to just hand out to unsuspecting strangers. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.